this passage of Scripture how that sometimes uh, while we want to serve God a little bit but not completely devoted, uh, how it's dangerous in our lives. And so I want to challenge you tonight. Let's go ahead and decide uh, in the preaching. We're going to hear a message that says, I want to give God my best. No matter what age or stage you are in life, give God your best. Give him your very best. Heavenly Father, I pause to pray in hunger for the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to help me tonight. Lord, I've worked to prepare. I've prayed. I've studied. I've, I've read. I have worked. But Lord, all of that is vain unless the Holy Spirit of God would help us uh, in hearing the message and help in the preaching of the message. I pray that I would lift you up and honor and glorify you to the way, uh, to the place that we would say, I want to give God my very best. Bless, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I love to read of the glory days of the nation of Israel. Perhaps some of the greatest were the days of Joshua as they just went into the land and they received their inheritance there. And the Bible makes an amazing statement about Joshua that all the people served the Lord. All the days of Joshua and those that led after Joshua, those that lived during that time, those were glory days in the nation of Israel. And then, of course, the first king they had was King David. And what a, what a blessing it was that David was the shepherd king, or not the first king, but was the second king. Saul was the first king, David was the second king, but those were just glory days because the person who is a picture of Christ as the shepherd is David in the Old Testament. Joseph is another perfect type and picture of Christ, but, uh, but David is a picture of Christ as the shepherd king. And I love to read of the nation of Israel and how God blessed that nation. Uh, one of the things that interests me about uh, learning about the nation of Israel and how God blessed them uh, was our founding fathers in America. Uh, they knew the history of Israel. They knew why God had blessed the nation because of the obedience of the people to the commandments of God and to the laws of God and their desire to please the God that had delivered them from Egypt and had given them the great land of Canaan. But when we come to our passage of Scripture here, we find that Solomon has died. And when he dies, he leaves a nation that I would describe it like this. It was filled with splendor. It was a nation of great power, and it had the presence of God. I understand that Solomon did some things that were not pleasing to the Lord, but Rehoboam inherited a nation that was filled with splendor, that was a nation of great power, and the presence of God was there. Now, I think of that, and I think we have had leadership much like that of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was a selfish man, and Rehoboam was a sinful man, and uh, he uh, did not acknowledge the good people of Israel. And rather than uh, Rehoboam having the attitude that David did, uh, David saw himself as this chief servant of the people. Uh, Rehoboam saw himself as the chief master of the people and that the people were supposed to serve him. He multiplied their taxes and he multiplied their burden so he could become 
or so he thought he could become greater. Are you with me tonight? Uh, Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, I call him Rehoboam the rebel. And because of how he uh, made a great burden on the people, the nation actually divided. Uh, there were 12 states in the nation of Israel. They're called tribes in the Bible, uh, the 12 sons of Jacob. But they would be like today, a nation having uh, 12 states. We have 50 states, uh, but they had 12. And, and the nation was divided because of the rebellious and selfish leadership of Rehoboam. And uh, they didn't divide equally. There were 10 uh, tribes or 10 states to the north that separated uh, from the people in the south. So it became known as the northern kingdom, as the southern kingdom. Uh, the southern kingdom became known as Judah. And uh, the priests uh, and the Levites that were in the northern kingdom, they moved south. And you'll find that in the previous chapter here because uh, Rehoboam, while he was hard on the people, he didn't, he didn't walk away from God. He reminds me of politicians today. He used God every time he needed him and then put him back in a box when he didn't want him. That, that, that bothers me. In fact, I think it's a dangerous life. I, I, I think it's a shameful thing. And so he did have the priests, he did have the Levites that had left the northern kingdom and they had come down to the southern kingdom. Uh, Rehoboam squandered the opportunities that he was given and he walked away from God refusing to serve God like his fathers David and his father Solomon had done. Uh, Rehoboam's life is a lesson for us. It's a lesson uh, that we learn from one of privilege and pride and the judgment of God. And because he didn't give God his best, he did not receive the best of God's blessings. And I want to use his life as an example to say to us the same thing that happened to Rehoboam who wanted to just use God at his convenience. Uh, the same thing will happen to us if we follow the path of Rehoboam. I don't want us to do that. Let's give God our best. Let's give God our best as an individual Christian in our walk with God. Let's give God our best as a family unit, as a marriage, as a family unit. Let's give God our best as, our, as far as our church is concerned. Now let's not see what least we can get by with, but let's, let's determine tonight from what we learn in the life of Rehoboam uh, that we're going to give God our best. God is worthy of our best. He is worthy, Paul said to the Christians who are at Rome in Romans chapter 12 that they were not to be conformed to this world, but they were to give themselves a living sacrifice to the God of heaven. Don't ever forget where you were and where you were headed when God saved us. He saved us. We were on our way to a devil's hell. We was on our way to an eternal, a place of eternal punishment. But because he saved us, our sins are forgiven. His righteousness are on our account. Heaven is our home and we ought to be rejoicing on our way. God deserves our best. Four things I want to point out from this passage of Scripture that we can learn tonight and challenge us to be our best. First of all, I want you to notice Rehoboam's character. Rehoboam's character. In verse number one, we find that he used God to get where he wanted to be. 
That's a convicting statement because oftentimes that's what we do. All of our prayers are about helping us, never helping others. Our prayers are about God meeting our wants rather than us satisfying or pleasing the God of heaven. Notice what he says in verse number 1. It came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. He forsook the law of the Lord. He then operated in pride of self and disregarded the word of God. One of the great indicators of pride in self is the disregard for the word of God. He came to believe that neither he nor his nation needed the Lord or needed the Lord's direction or needed the Lord's involvement in their life. And he seems to be saying to God, thanks for bringing me this far, Lord, but I don't need you. I've got it from here on out. Friend, when we come to that place, we're in trouble. Thank God for the blessings of God. But don't ever come to the place that you're satisfied where you are. But always say, Lord, thank you for bringing me this far. And please don't leave me here. I want you to carry me on. I want you to stay in my life. I want you to stay in my work, in my family, my marriage, whatever the case may be. Don't ever come to the place that you let the blessings of God cause you to forsake the law of God and cause you to come to the place that you're led by pride in life. America today, America today as a whole has walked away from the word of God in the local church. They act as though they don't need God. It's sad. And Brother Rogers said it this morning with a, with, a, with, a, with a broken heart. There's so many folks, they don't even think about church. Today's Sunday. They think about rest or they think about play. Sunday's God's day. It's the first day of the week. I challenge you tonight. Give God your best. Give him Sunday. Be faithful in church and be where you ought to be. And of course, I'm preaching to the church tonight that's here. And I'm glad that you are. God's looking for people that's opposite of Rehoboam. He's looking for people who realize their dependence upon him. He's looking for people who desire to walk in obedience to him. And he's looking for those who long to see others come to know the Lord. That's the attitude, that's the character he wants me to have. Look at the life of Rehoboam and say, I don't want to ever get to the place that I think I don't need God. I need him. I need him. Doesn't matter the blessings of the church. I need him as much tonight as I've ever needed him before. I need him in my life personally. I need him in my marriage. I need him in my home. Let Rehoboam be, a, be an example to us tonight and a challenge to us. Don't just use God to get what you want. Walk with God and be committed giving him your best. The second part of the chapter, we find not only his character, we find his chastisement. In verses 2 through 9, the Bible tells us that the decisions of Rehoboam resulted in God chastening him and God chastening his people. Rehoboam and Israel sinned and God used Shishak, or how did you say it? Did you say Shishak? Shashak. We'll go with, what did you say, Shishak? Shishak, all right. It is an I. We'll call him Shishak. We'll just say Egypt. Both of us said that the same, didn't we? Uh, God used Egypt to punish Israel. I want you to think about that. God used, Israel, God used Egypt 
to punish Israel. Of all the nations that it would have been, the most humiliating would be the nation that they had been set free from. They had been set free from the bondage of Egypt. You remember how strong and how powerful Pharaoh was and the people of God. They were then nothing but slaves. They were helpless. They were weak. They had no army. They had no organization. They had no leader. All they had was a cry out to the God of heaven. And God delivered them from the nation of Egypt. He delivered them from the strong hand of Pharaoh. You recall he sent ten plagues to get the attention of Pharaoh. And not only did he deliver them and lead them out of the land of Egypt when they came to the Red Sea. He parted the waters of the Red Sea. They went across on dry land. And Pharaoh and his armies drowned in that water. Now that's who God had delivered them from. And look and see who God uses to punish them. What a shame. What an embarrassment it was the very people. May I say, Israel was not in control. Egypt was not in control. God's in control. I want to give my best to the one who is in control. Notice, if you will, in verse number 2 what the Bible says. And it came to pass that in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. I just wonder tonight how many enemies of America would just go away if we went back to walking with God again. I wonder how many enemies God has raised up, God has strengthened to bring us to uh, our knees and bring us to the understanding that we're not who we think we are. When without God, we're nothing. I wonder how many of the enemies, I wonder how many of the, uh, uh, how much of the corruption within would go away if we would just turn back to obedience to the word of God. Notice verse number three, with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen. Wow. 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and the people were without number that came with, with him out of Egypt. Verse four, and he took the fenced cities Fences didn't do much good, did they? Did you see that? The fences didn't do much good. Man, it kept a stray dog out, but it didn't keep God from punishing them. The chastisement of Rehoboam. When we leave his word, we leave obedience to God's commands. When we leave, we're still his child, and he proves that by loving us enough to punish us. But dear friend, the fellowship and the blessings are broken. The chastisement comes when our character is one of just using God for what we want and what we need rather than giving our best to serve him. I want to point out number three, Rehoboam's confusion. This really spoke to my heart as I read through this of, of Rehoboam's confusion. It reminds me of our nation that when we get in trouble, everybody says, we better pray for America. Everything's going well. Let's, let, let, let's go party. We'll turn on our 
our, our sinful music and we'll drink our booze and we'll uh, live in uh, uh, immorality and then if a, if a hurricane comes or a, a, a war comes or a difficulty comes, we know where God is and we'll cold call on him when we need him. That's what Rehoboam did. In verse number one, he walks away from the Lord. We read that verse. I want you to notice what happens in verse number five. The preacher comes to him. And he says at the end of verse number 5, Thus saith the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I also left you in the hand of Shishak. Verse number 6, Whereupon the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. So he repents in verse number 6. Look at verse number 12. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him that he would not destroy him altogether. And also in Judah, things went well. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Things go well when you obey God. Is that not what the Bible says? Things went well. Now here's a fellow, he's not serving God with all of his heart. And, and God is so anxious to love him. He is so anxious to bless him. And as soon as he humbles himself, I mean, he comes to the altar. He gets right with God. He said, God, I'm sorry for having a proud attitude. I'm sorry for my behavior against you. I'm sorry. And God quickly responds to that. And things go well. Look at verse 14. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. I believe he meant what he said in verse 6. I believe he meant what he said in verse 12, but he never changed his ways. Folks, so often when we make a decision before God in prayer, sometimes we'll say, God, I'm sorry, but we never repent of the things that brought us to the place of failure. We never change our behavior that brought us to the place of failure. We never change our fellowship that brought us to the place of failure. When we come to God in confession, not only should we confess our sin, we ought to ask God, Lord, help us to know what brought us to this place of failure and may we stay away from those things and separate ourselves from those things. Rehoboam's confusion it is the picture of a confused person who does not have a clear direction or focus in life. They're up and down and they're in and out. They're hot and cold. They're on and off. I want to say tonight, you and I ought to commit ourselves to giving God our very best. I mean, we ought to get in to stay in. I mean, we ought to surrender to serve until the end of our days or our ability to serve. Take your Bibles, hold your place there in 2 Chronicles 12 and go to James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1, uh, he talks about having patience and let patience have its perfect work. And then he says in verse number 8, if any of you lack wisdom, uh, let him ask of God. I'm sorry, in verse number 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. Verse number 6, let him ask in faith. Notice these words, nothing wavering. Give God your best. Don't say, I'm going to give God two days to serve. Don't, don't, don't say, I'm going to serve him this week. 
Just tell God, I'm going to give you my life to serve. You say, preacher, what do you do when you've given your life to serve God and you fail? Then you go back and you give your life again and you start off fresh and anew. And you ask God, oh God, forgive me. I want to commit my life to serve you. He says, nothing wavering. And then he says in verse number 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We can't serve God and mammon. We can't serve God and the world. We can't do right and live in the world. Oh, listen to me. We don't need a hunger and an appetite for the things of the world. We need a hunger and appetite for the things of God. We need to have a hunger for the Word of God, a hunger of fellowship with the people of God, a desire to spend our lives serving God. You'll never use your time better than you will in serving God and helping others to know how to love and how to serve Him. And then last of all, I want to show you Rehoboam's compromises. This is a sad thing because some may hear me tonight and say that's right, but maybe I don't want to go all the way in serving God. I don't want to commit completely to His will, but I do want to serve Him. I do want to do right, but I want to. I, I, I don't want to do it a hundred percent. That's exactly what happened to Rehoboam. And he never experienced the great blessings of God that God wanted him to have. And I want you to notice what he says here in verse number 9. Chapter 12 in verse number 9. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took all. He carried away also the shields of gold which Solomon had made. Make note of that. Mark that in your Bible. He carried away the shields of gold which Solomon had made. What a sad thing. There were 300. According to 2 Chronicles chapter 9, Solomon had made 300 shields of solid gold. Now, these were soldiers' shields. They, 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 they had a place in the king's palace and when the, and, and when the king would go to the place of worship and the king would make an entrance, they would, uh, those 300 guards of the kings would take those golden shields and they would hold them before them and they would line the avenue leading up to the temple. 150 soldiers, 150 guards on each side holding a solid gold shield. Imagine the gleam that went up from those shields as Solomon and Rehoboam made their way into the temple to worship. It was a sign of strength. It was a sign uh, that, uh, uh, that God had richly blessed the nation of Israel. I don't have time to go into this a lot, but God blessed America a lot. I mean... It's amazing some of these cities and the beauty and the grandeur of all that we have. And yet, you know what America did? The same thing Rehoboam did. God, thank you for bringing us this far, but we got her from here. We'll do what we want. I don't have time to go to Sunday school. We'll let the children go to Sunday school. 
I don't have time to go back on Sunday night and certainly don't have time to study the Bible on Wednesday night with those weaker Christians and, and we're doing well. And the enemy knew in America what our signs of strength were. They didn't just fly planes into any building in 2001. They took those symbols of strength and they attacked those. And you know who, let, uh, you know who allowed that to happen? wasn't the president. It was the God of heaven. And friend, I want to tell you, there is nothing that will stop the wars and all of the terrorism, and we have worse than terrorism in our own cities, where there's cities being burned and devoured and destroyed. We have worse than that. There's only one thing that's going to fix it when we have a revival of God's people getting back where they're supposed to be in their walk with God. They stole the shields of gold. You know what, you know what Rehoboam did? He commissioned the metal workers to fashion 300 new shields of brass. When polished, brass shields would gleam like gold. But when the, but, but, but when the king passed between those rows of, of guards and shields, he knew and the guards knew that they were inferior and they were a poor substitute for the missing shields of gold. Gold spoke of power and prosperity and glory. It was expensive and hard to acquire. Gold was tempered and durable. Gold never had to be polished because it was pure. It didn't tarnish. It was a symbol. Gold is a symbol of deity, of God becoming flesh in Christ. It spoke of the glory and the presence of God in the midst of Israel. On the other hand, brass or bronze is not pure. It is an alloy or it is a composite of copper and zinc. And bronze or brass is much cheaper. It's easier to acquire. It's more common than gold. And unlike gold, brass must be polished constantly because it tends to tarnish in the weather, in the cold, or in the dew or humidity. Whereas gold was tempered and durable, brass was cheap and flimsy. And instead of facing the people of Israel and telling them that the golden shields were gone, Rehoboam tried to deceive them by preparing an inferior substitute. Instead of gathering the army to go and recover what the enemy had taken, Rehoboam chose the pathway of hypocrisy and compromise. And you'll find it in verse number 10. Instead of which King Rehoboam made shields of brass and committed them to the hands of the chief of the guard that kept the entrance of the king's house. And when the king entered into the house of the Lord, the guard came and fetched them and brought them again into uh, the guard chamber. I would submit that Christians are often guilty of doing the same thing in their service for God rather than giving God the gold standard of a living sacrifice and a total commitment to God. We give God a brass compromise that is far less than the real thing. For example, we often operate in human effort rather than divine power. When the Holy Spirit of God is ready to feel and use me and help me in the matter of soul winning, in the matter of living, in the matter of preaching, the matter of living a clean life, uh, rather than choosing uh, uh, to live in subjection to the Holy Spirit of God, I want to give God my best human effort. God doesn't want the brass shield. He wants the gold shield of the divine power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Give God your best.
We oftentimes live carnal lives rather than committed lives. We want to run with the world, live like the world, talk like the world, walk and act like the world, behave and dress like the world, and seek the entertainment of the world. And then when we do that, we're not offering God a committed heart, a committed life, a committed mind. We're offering Him brass instead of gold, and we have compromised, as did Rehoboam. We may not be the king of a nation, but you do make the decisions of your own life. And I'm preaching tonight to say God deserves your very best. He deserves my very best. He deserves our very best. Let's not use God to get what we want. Let's serve God because we love Him and want to serve Him with our lives. We offer Him compromise rather than commitment. We often offer Him uh, excuses instead of humble obedience when we say, well, I would do this or that, uh, but I can't for this reason or that. We're offering God brass in the place of gold when we try keeping up appearances as he did with the appearance of brass instead of humbly walking before God each morning and each day in our lives and having a time of fellowship with God. We care more about what others think of our Christianity than what God knows of my heart. May I say tonight, if I walk with God in the morning and I meet with him and my heart is tender and yielded to him, I won't have to worry about my appearance before others. That will take care of itself. I say tonight, let's commit. Let's recommit our lives to serve the Lord. Let's give him our best. If tonight there was a meter that would tell us what percentage or what level of commitment there is in our life, what would you guess your commitment level would be? Would you be a half-hearted Christian? Would you be like the church in uh, the book of the Revelation that was a lukewarm church? Or would you be able to say, I've given him my all. I desire, I don't always have the same emotion and excitement, but I want to always show up in my place and do what God has given me an opportunity to do. Well, sometime this week in your personal devotions, you open the Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and read through this chapter and say, Oh Lord, I want to be like David who was a servant to the people, not using others and not using God to make himself someone but making himself someone by serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. What a great chapter it is. Let's give him our best. Stand with me tonight, if you will, please. Heavenly Father, I pray that you, Holy Spirit of God, would speak to the hearts of children and teenagers, moms and dads, adults of all ages. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to look at our lives and decide and to evaluate and to say, I don't want to use God to get what I want. But I want to give who I am and what I am. My attitude, my actions, my heart, my effort, my mind. I want to give that to God's service.